Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. In 1941, when Jaffa Eliak was six years old, German troops invaded her town in what was then Poland. Most of the Jewish population was rounded up and murdered. Within two days, 900 years of history was sundered. But Jaffa and her family managed to escape. After the war, Jaffa settled in the United States, where she earned a Ph.D., and began telling and writing stories about the Holocaust. Jaffa is the subject of a new picture book by Hannah Stiefel. Illustrated by Susan Gall, the book is called The Tower of Life, How Jaffa Eliak Rebuilt Her Town in Stories and Photographs. Hannah is the award-winning author of more than 30 books for children. She is also the proud mom of a Scholastic Kid reporter, and I'm delighted to talk with her today. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Tell our listeners about the Tower of Life and what inspired you to write it. I first learned about Yaffa Eliyah when I read her obituary in the New York Times in 2016. I can't say for certain what drew me to read the obituary, but I was so gripped by her story, by her resilience and hope after experiencing the Holocaust, how she lived her life, that I actually clipped out the obituary and kept it on my kitchen table and kept returning to it and told my family about it. And the story just stayed with me. So I just eventually knew that I had to write a picture book about her. I read that obituary after I read your book, and I know what you're saying. So go ahead and explain how Jaffa and her family escaped their shtetl in what was then Poland when German troops invaded. Jaffa was a young girl, and she was born in a shtetl called Aisheshak, which was then Poland, now Lithuania. She was born in 1935. When the Nazis invaded, the Jews were rounded up into the synagogue. Her father had told the family to hide. They were staying with a non-Jewish family. And he somehow had the sense that he needed to escape. They were one of the few Jews who escaped from the entire village. And so he escaped through a window of the synagogue and he ran to get his family and they fled to the woods and they continued throughout the war to stay in hiding. And that's how they survived. Before then, Yafa's grandmother had quite an interesting career. Tell us how that career really would affect and enrich Yaffa's life. One of the things that really struck me when learning about Aisha Shock and Yaffa's story, and I learned a lot of this from her book, There Once Was a World, is that the book and her storytelling really erased some stereotypes for me. One of which was that women worked <laughs> at that time. They worked outside the home. Two of her grandmothers, not just her mother, but her grandmothers worked. One of them sold candles at the local market. And the other one was the town photographer. Yaffa's grandfather had visited America in the 1920s, and he came home with this new invention, a camera, and they started a business above the family pharmacy. So everyone would come to have their photo taken. Yaffa loved to help out in her grandmother's studio. People would send New Year's cards, Rosh Hashanah cards, to their families who had left Aisha Shock. 
They would send greetings for Happy Healthy New Year, and they would send photographs. So when Yafa fled, she had the sense to tuck some of those photos into her shoes. She held on to them throughout the war, and that definitely played a role in the incredible exhibit that she later created. Why did you decide to write this story for children? You read the obituary. You could have written this for teens or middle schoolers. What drew you to writing a picture book? That's a great question. I love writing picture books. The book that I had written before this was Let Liberty Rise, about how school children help save the Statue of Liberty. And I think the fact that Yaffa was such a young girl when the war happened struck me. And I also felt that there aren't that many Holocaust books that appeal to young readers. Um, It's a very tricky subject to teach because you don't want to traumatize children, but it is important to teach children about that period of history. And I knew I wanted to write it young. It just, I think for some writers, that's just the way it came to me. And I stuck to my guns and, and that's what I wrote. And I'm so glad I did because Susan Gall's illustrations are just absolutely stunning. The illustrations are amazing, Hannah. I wondered before we get to them, what does one say about the Holocaust to a six-year-old or a seven-year-old? I did ask a lot of experts, educators, on how to teach Holocaust to children, and they helped me with a teaching guide that a professional educator wrote. I would say that you have to be very careful talking about the Holocaust to young children. You don't want to traumatize them. But that said, my daughter is a third grade teacher, and she is sharing this book with her class. And parents have to use their judgment. But I think some schools start with the idea of memory and having family memories and thinking back onto our family traditions and what's important. And so they start with that because part of the Holocaust is keeping people's memory alive. And we don't want to go too much into the murder, the trauma, the genocide. I think children understand, like today, children understand the idea of refugees And also the focus of my book is not so much the war, but the life before the war and the rebuilding afterward and how Yaffa rebuilt her town. So while we do have spreads that focus on the war, they're not overly graphic and it's treated in a very sensitive way so that parents and educators can open the discussion, but not go too much into the horror of that time period. I see. Could you read an excerpt from The Tower of Life for us? Sure, I would love to. There once was a girl named Yaffa. She was a spirited girl who loved her home and her family. She was born in the shtetl, a small Jewish town that pulsed with love, laughter, and light. The name of her shtetl was Aishashak. The family roots of the people in Aishashak ran deep. For 900 years, their histories and spirits were woven into the fabric of the town, On holidays, Yaffa's family and their neighbors walked down Eternity Lane to the old cemetery where grandparents told tales of their ancestors buried beneath their feet. Their stories swirled around one another, keeping their faith and traditions alive. As the seasons turned, Yaffa, her older brother Yitzchak, and their many cousins played in the town. In winter, they went sledding and skating. In summer, they swam in the lake and chased one another through the forest. On market days, Yaffa helped Grandma Chaya sell candles. They laughed as they shouted over the other merchants hawking their wares. An organ grinder and his pet monkey entertained Yaffa and her friends, handing them fortunes for a fee. 
Most of all, Yaffa loved to help out in her Grandma Alta's photography studio just above the family's pharmacy. Many years earlier, Yaffa's grandfather had returned from a visit to America with a brand new invention, a camera. Since then, Grandma Alta had become one of the town's photographers. She captured the shopkeepers, newlyweds, babies, and bar mitzvah boys on film. It seemed everyone in town wanted Grandma Alta to take their picture. And on the eve of each Jewish New Year, people from all over Aisha Shop would mail their treasured photographs to their families around the world with greetings for good health and happiness. When Yaffa was six years old, Grandma Alta captured a treasured moment of Yaffa making funny faces as she fed the chickens. It seemed the happy times would never end. But that same summer, darkness came to Aisha Shock. Wow. It's such a powerful story. I'm so glad you wrote it. Thank you. Yaffa's family escaped, as we know, of course. Eventually, in her adult life, she made it to the United States. Could you tell us a little bit about her odyssey and then her work as a historian and memorializer of the Holocaust? Yaffa exhibited like remarkable resilience after the war. She had lost her mother and her younger brother. First, she went across Europe through Egypt to Palestine and her father met her there. She traveled with her brother and an aunt and uncle. She went to school in Jerusalem and she actually met her husband there. He was a principal of the school and they got married and then moved to America. So she raised a family and she became a Jewish historian and an expert on the Holocaust. And I learned from Yaffa's daughter, Smadar Rosenzweig, who is also a professor, that her mother was a groundbreaking teacher. And she wanted to teach, she wanted to create a curriculum about the Holocaust. But after the war, many survivors didn't even want to talk about their history. And she felt it was so important. She realized that a lot of the history that was being taught was from the Nazi perspective. And she wanted to change that. So she encouraged Holocaust survivors to tell their stories and she began documenting them. And that was groundbreaking work. Like no one had done that at that point. And she created a research center for Holocaust studies. Originally, it was at her husband. Her husband was a principal at Flatbush Yeshiva in Brooklyn. And then it moved to Brooklyn College. And now the archives are at the Jewish Heritage Museum in New York City, at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum in D.C., and at Yad Vashem in Jerusalem. So many people might know that of the Shoah Foundation was to even Spielberg, that he has interviewed or his organization has interviewed thousands of Holocaust survivors. The inspiration for that actually came from Yaffa. So it was groundbreaking work. And what happened with her exhibit is that in 1979, Jimmy Carter wanted to build a memorial to the victims of the Holocaust in Washington, D.C. And he asked Yaffa to help build this memorial. And she didn't want to focus on death and dying and destruction. She wanted to focus on the lives that were lived and the beautiful lives of the people from her town. So she remembered the photos that she had tucked in her shoes. And she thought, well, other people must have photos too. Remember those photos that were sent from her, her Rosh Hashanah cards from her grandmother's studio. So she set out on a mission to find people who had relatives from Aisha Shock and get their stories and record them and find their photographs. And so she traveled for 17 years to six continents, to nearly all 50 United States. And she collected 6,000 photographs and she built this tower of life, which has over a thousand photographs in it. 
Um, if you could picture standing in a room three stories high, surrounded by photographs of the people of one town, and it's remarkable. And she rebuilt her town in stories and photographs. So it's a central exhibit at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. So I imagine you visited this after you learned about Yaffa's story. What was your feeling? What was that like? Yeah, for me, I get emotional just even thinking about it. But it's really a feeling of awe. There's incredible reverence. And I get a little teary and emotional thinking about it. But you're looking at all these faces. and. Yaffa wanted people to see themselves in these photographs. That's essentially was her mission. And you do, you connect because here you are seeing people celebrating with their families, having weddings, playing outdoors, the picture of Yaffa feeding the chickens, hugging each other. And it's very relatable. And you realize like the tragic endings for many or most of these people all around her, all around. And you walk through and it's like you're walking on a bridge and Yaffa says it's like walking a bridge like from the past to the present to the future. It's like the messages that we carry with ourselves when we walk through there and when we absorb them. And then Yaffa wanted us to transmit those stories to other people. Um, One really interesting thing, I was uh, talking to teachers who, the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum trains teachers to teach about the Holocaust. And so I spoke to teachers online and the, the museum shared with me, the exhibit was installed around 1990 so a whole generation has grown up and she, they want to reach the younger generation. So what they've done is they've added augmented reality to the photographs. So you can go through, go to the exhibit, you hold up an iPad in front of a photograph and these are black and white photographs, but on screen on the iPad, they're colorized. And then you'll learn the history of the person in the photograph because Yaffa recorded their histories, what's happening in the photograph and what happened to those people. So it's more interactive and I think very emotional. I haven't had the experience yet, but I think for a younger generation who like multimedia and the interactivity is kind of interesting, I think it'll really transmit the messages to anyone who comes to see the exhibit. It makes me think back to your book, The Tower of Life, and how children love hearing stories about other children and families and memories. This really is carrying on Yaffa's legacy, which I think is so beautiful. I agree. Now, also, she wanted us to see our common humanity, and she focused on the heroism and dignity of the people involved in the Holocaust, those who were lost, those who survived, rather than seeing them as victims or seeing the devastation they experienced. What was it? I guess it gets back to Yaffa's just incredible resilience, but What was it that kept her going back really to the triumph of the human spirit? I think it was a story that wasn't being told that when you see a lot of photographs of the Holocaust, you see these horrible photos of emaciated victims and they're dehumanized. And I think that that was was what the Nazis mission was to dehumanize the Jewish people. And so that's what you see in the photographs, people who are starving and they don't even look human. So by restoring humanity to the victims, she restored their dignity, that these were people just like you and me. And I think that's a universal message that we need to stop hating each other and bullying and we need to stop just othering people, that we are all human and we need to see our common bonds. The other thing is that when you see the photographs, you feel a sense of community, right? That Eishashak was an archetype of a shtetl. There were thousands of shtetls throughout Europe. This was one town. Thousands of them were destroyed. 
when I talk to school children, I talk to them about, well, describe your community. What makes your community? The people, the businesses, the parks, the places of worship. These are common things that kids can relate to. I also show archival photographs from Yaffa's exhibit. And I show them kids on skis and kids playing in fields, a musician, uh, children acting in a play, those wonderful class photographs that everyone sits for each year. They did that too. And, and kids immediately relate. I was in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, speaking to children, and I talked about the milkman. So kids don't know what a milkman is, but kids in Milwaukee know what a farmer is. And that was one of the photographs that they related to was that this, there was this very revered milkman who would deliver milk door to door. And he was so revered that when he would walk to synagogue, the Christian and Muslim farmers would, would take off their hats in respect for him. So I told that story. There are, there's a literal story behind every single photograph. So I find that these stories are just make people so relatable and human. And that's the important thing, that there is a story behind every single victim, that they were people. Just again, so powerful. Now let's talk about the illustrations by Susan Gall, which as we've said, are extraordinary. Could you talk about your collaboration with Susan, if there was one and where she drew her inspiration? Very often when you write a picture book, authors and illustrators don't communicate with each other. That's just the way it is. Going into it, you might not know that, but I think it's part of the creative process that Uh, Publishers want to give illustrators creative freedom. Writers might write some art notes, but otherwise illustrators have free reign. We did our own separate research. Susan did her own research. We both read Yafa's book, There Once Was a World, and she did a lot of photography research. And I've actually, sometimes authors and illustrators don't communicate at all, but since the book came out, we've been in close contact with each other. So I learned from her a lot of her inspiration. One thing was that really was gripping to her was that when she started to research Nazis, she was seeing a lot of images come up of present-day Nazis, neo-Nazis. And that was really upsetting and disturbing to her. And she just threw herself entirely into this story because she felt it was so important. Another thing was that if you look at the book, you'll see that the pages of Germans and the Nazis invading, those people, the soldiers don't have faces because she felt that if you try to take away someone's humanity, you don't deserve to have your face in a book. So she erased their faces. And then she did some remarkable things like those postcards that I told you about. So she scanned actual postcards from Yaffa's collection. And then she really brought them to life in some of these spreads. One of my favorite spreads is where Yaffa is rebuilding her town in stories and photographs. And here you have to open the book to see it. Susan incorporated the postcards into the town so that it looks like they're coming back to life. And then the final illustration of the Tower of Life, which is a two-page spread that you have to actually turn the book on its side. You can actually experience what the tower was like. And she also included some photographs into the book. So it's this multimedia combination of her watercolor illustrations, digital and and photography. One last thing that I'll share is that when Yaf and her family were in hiding, her parents taught her that a glimmer of light can chase away the darkness. So Yaf's mother taught her how to read and write by etching letters into the walls of a shelter where they were staying, like they were clay walls. So you'll see a page where her mother is writing on the wall 
And that's actually my Hebrew handwriting. I speak and write in Hebrew. So the words are tikva, which means hope, shalom, which means peace, or which means light, and chaim, which is life. And those are the major themes of the book. So basically, I wrote them down and then we scanned them in or the uh, art director scanned them in and put them on the cave wall. So it's kind of meta (laughs) experience of having like my handwriting on the wall of of the book. It sure is. Let's take a moment to appreciate that when Yaffa was doing the Tower of Faces or the Tower of Life, when President Jimmy Carter asked her to do this, there was no digital photography. There was no computer to no email. So going around the world to get these photographs must have been one incredible endeavor. Yes. um, Yaffa had to raise a lot of the money on her own. She had grants. She did a ton of traveling. I think she said that one of her children's first words was Aisha Shock. (laughs) Also, you realize that these were very cherished albums. So there is a passage in the book where it says that people didn't want to part with their photographs. She would have to go make physical copies of them. So she would trade for them. Like she would give them sneakers or running suits or color TVs or something like that, you know, whatever it was to barter for their photographs so that she could have them as part of her collection. And someone had their photographs in a tin can buried? Yeah, correct. So in Israel, so Yaffa would find out, like, how did she find these survivors, right? So very often she would, when she was going somewhere, she would put ads in a newspaper or speak on the radio. And then it was through word of mouth. And she knew that in a certain building in Israel, there was a relative from a person from Aisha Shock. So she knocked on 42 doors of an apartment building until she found the right person. And he had hidden photos in a tin can under a tree. So they dug it up. So I actually asked Yaffa's daughter, Smadar, why did he hide the photos under a tree? You would think that he would have them in his home, in his collection. And it's really interesting that survivors very often remarried if they lost their spouses after the war, but they didn't want to part with their photographs. They were treasured. So they would sometimes bury them or hide them away and they would move on with their lives. That's how that came about. I thought that was really potent and emotional. Oh my goodness. So poignant. I can't emphasize enough that everyone should pick up this book, no matter what age you are. I got so much out of it. And especially now, as you know, Hannah, January 27 is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Tell us what this day means for you and and your family. Oh, it's a heavy question. I think one of the things that made me want to write this story is that Holocaust survivors are passing away, but also that I have family history. My maternal great-grandfather was from a town called Seredna, and he left and was in, formerly in Czechoslovakia. And he left in the 1920s to America, and he left behind his parents and his 10 siblings. Eight of his 10 siblings and their spouses and his parents and his siblings' children perished in the Holocaust, other than two siblings and two nieces. So he really lost virtually his entire family. So we have a family tree. My mother has a tremendous family now. Just from my great-grandfather, there are about 300 descendants, and that family keeps growing. And my mother has strong relationship with her cousins, and they keep in touch. And they take um, Holocaust memorials and Holocaust education very seriously. But at the same time, It's a family that's continuously growing. My great-grandfather's sister, Esther, who survived, she saved two nieces from Auschwitz. 
And she went on to build a family. Her name was Esther Klein. So I'm in touch with those cousins. And while we have this terrible past in our family, we also focus like Yafa on all the celebrations. The, the, the family WhatsApp is thriving. And um, there's, there's so much great stuff going on there between weddings and bar mitzvahs and babies being born. And we, we like to focus on the good things. And that just like Yafa would want us to focus on, on life, on Jewish life and continuity. And that's the way my family is. So while it's important to remember the past, we also have to focus on the future. So you have your own tower of life. Yes. (laughs) Which is great. We do have to note, I mean, the rise of anti-Semitism in recent years, in the past few years, it's just been so scary and alarming, which makes books like yours more important than ever. I wondered what advice you have for teachers and parents who want to educate children, but in a climate of fear, really. So I would say a few things. One is, of course, it's really important to remember the Holocaust and teach Holocaust. If you need resources, I would go to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum site. They have tremendous resources for educators. Look at my book and other books. I list other like further reading in the back of my book and on my website. And it's important to share these stories. And at the same time, I think one of the best ways to combat anti-Semitism is to share other Jewish books. Jewish books about Jewish life, holidays, culture, joy. (laughs) I could go on. Food, Jewish biographies of famous Jewish people, athletes, artists, musicians, politicians. I mean, there's just such a vibrant culture. So educate children. Include Jewish books in your libraries. Invite Jewish authors to your schools. Add to your collections, include Jewish books as diverse books. If you need lists, I would go to the Association of Jewish Libraries, to the Jewish Book Council. There's a group on Facebook called Jewish Kid Lit Mavens, which is filled with Jewish authors, illustrators, publishers. And they have a a growing list, a a biography, a site called the Sydney Taylor Schmooze. Oh, look at the Sydney Taylor book list of award-winning books. Include those in your collection. But the Sydney Taylor Schmooze, which is run by Heidi Rabinowitz, who's a librarian, reviews every single week. They include new Jewish books. So that's a, a great resource also. There's, there are just so many wonderful books out there about Jewish life. So in addition to books about the Holocaust, it'd be wonderful if people could also enjoy books about Jewish life. Great advice. Thank you so very much for joining me today, Hannah. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Suzanne. My great thanks again to author Hannah Stiefel for joining me today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about the Tower of Life and for additional educational materials about the Holocaust, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Constance Gibbs, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberle. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.